The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Hello, everybody. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week, I and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, come to you with the information that you need so that you'll be armed and prepared to advocate for yourself and for your family for your health care needs. We try to give you the information that's not readily accessible about health care issues, give you the insights into what's going on in health care, contribute information about inside baseball items about healthcare that we experience on a regular basis. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. Our organization stands for the values that you um, hold dear, the doctor-patient relationship, and healthcare freedom. These things are evaporating quickly right before our very eyes on a daily basis. So you need to support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation so that we can continue to bring the word to the people who can make decisions about healthcare and so that we can continue to inform you so that you can do the same. Our website is triple W D the number four PC foundation.org. That's D four PC foundation.org. Those of you who have been contributors to our organization, we greatly appreciate your support because that's the lifeblood of our organization, your contributions so that we can continue to do our work. Those of you who have not contributed, Please do so today. I'm going to try to make the case today why it's so important for you to go to your computers today while you're listening to this show and just go ahead and donate $50 or $100 or more or less. But $100 is less than a restaurant these days. And you'll be doing yourself and us a huge favor if you do that. So please don't blow this off. Do it. And I'm going to make the case why this is so important on today's show. Today we're going to talk about a very easy and uh, topic for me to talk about, which is why hospitals suck. And... It, to 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 explain what this is all about, I need to just give you a little bit of a backstory. So, first of all, the you've heard me talk on on the show week after week about how our system is falling apart, how it's being taken over by the left, by the socialists, by those who are wanting to destroy our our um, way of life and replace it with a view, a value system that is 
antithetical to American values. The people who believe this believe in big government. They believe that the answer to all of our problems is more government, more control over you. When that happens, you have less control over your lives. And that is happening in healthcare. It's a, it's a, uh, a, uh, a battle that has been waged against, against you and against healthcare for decades without your knowledge. It's happening. And whether it can be walked back or not is a topic for another debate. But I think that you need to recognize that this is happening. And if this terrifies you, then you need to do something about it to try to turn the tide. And that would be to use your resources to support those who are trying to fight against that, that movement. The people who want to see more government are those who want to control everything. And that's happening in healthcare, where you have less control over your healthcare decisions. And those healthcare decisions are being centralized by the um, laws that exist, by the the executive actions that are taken to take away freedom from you as individuals regarding your health care decisions. It is easier to control people when there is less freedom on the part of individuals vis-a-vis their health care. And so concentrating healthcare decisions in the hands of the few instead of dispersing it across the many, the individuals, is the goal. That's what is necessary in order to move forward with this leftist utopian dream of bigger government and more control. One of my good friends, the president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, Lee Gross, said this best when we got into this conversation. Everybody today in the U.S. agrees that health care sucks. We know that hospitals are horrible places and that it's becoming more and more difficult for people to get the kind of health care that they expect. There is no daylight between the left and the right as far as that issue is concerned. But if you sat down Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, who would both agree with that, their solutions to that problem are diametrically opposed. Bernie Sanders would say, well, yes, healthcare sucks. We need to get more government. We need to get the government to control everything, and then it will be great for everyone. Donald Trump would say, are you kidding me? You you see what government-controlled healthcare is like at the VA 
or in government-run programs like Medicaid, people get worse health care in those situations. We need to allow people to make their own decisions and be able to um, have greater ability to get their health care where they want, from whom they want, and when they want. So if we can agree that the system is broken and that it stinks, then we need to figure out how to walk it back. Now, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was established back in 2008 to fight against this movement, fight against Obamacare. And I think that right now there needs to be a reset. And you, my friends, are the first to learn about this reset because we talked about it on our board call last night. And I think that there's really one overreaching focus that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation needs to take, and that is making sure that doctor wellness and well-being is looked out for so that we can protect the doctor-patient relationship and deliver health care freedom to all Americans. You've heard me say that in the lead-in to the show for 10 years, but right now this is something that is no more important now than ever before. The ability for doctors to go to work and be able to do their jobs and to be happy and go to to the offices and see their patients and and do so with the understanding that the people that they work for are the patients not the hospital not a private equity firm not the government that is so important and if you don't recognize that if you don't see this happening right in front of you you need to open your eyes and take a look at this i have not met a single person who has not experienced problems when they go to the hospital they go to the doctor's office and I'm going to try to spell out to you why this is happening and why it's so important for you to get behind a movement that is going to try to push back against this instead of allowing this to continue to happen because the outcome, the inevitability of where this is going is no good for you. Hospitals are the prime reason why this is a huge problem through no fault of their own. They've been given the ability. They've been given the keys to the kingdom. And they're taking advantage of it. And to sit back and allow this to happen and be complacent, I think is a grave mistake because the um, inevitability is that you will no longer be able to make healthcare decisions for yourself or your family. So I want to start out by sharing with you 
an article that made me reflect on this disturbing trend that I see every day. And quite honestly, so do most of your doctors. It's this, the healthcare system is in a downward spiral. You hear me talk about it all the time. I talk about it with my colleagues. I talk about it with my friends who are not doctors. And the reason why this is so distressing for me and for many of my friends, most of whom are vintage age, they're not Gen X, Gen Z people. They're people who have seen better times, people who know that things could be better than they are right now, but they're not. We're worried. I'm worried. I'm worried about who is going to be taking care of me when I need somebody to to care for my needs. I'm going to share with you some stories today, but that's that's a, a real cause of concern. So this article that I read came out of the Wall Street Journal just two days ago, and it was written by Senator Lankford, Jim Lankford from Oklahoma, and uh, co-authored by Dr. Brian Miller, who is an assistant professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins. And what the article was all about was putting an end to Obamacare's ban on physician-owned hospitals. So buried deep within the thousand pages of Obamacare regulations was a 2010 prohibition that said that any physician-owned hospital built before 2010 is prohibited from growing beyond its size when the bill was passed, and it further prohibited the establishment of any new physician-owned hospitals. Now, there are exceptions. You can have single specialty exceptions, like in my practice where we have surgery centers that are single practice-owned but you can't get other urologists to participate because that is against the law, both for Obamacare and Certificate of Need laws, which are part of this. And many, the regular listeners know what we talk about as far as Certificate of Need, which is um, anti-competition laws. But for more um, than um, over over the last 13 years, hospitals have not been able to be opened by physicians. And so what has happened is that because of increasing pressures in healthcare, because of favorable federal and state um, regulations and legislation, hospitals have been given the ability to consolidate and to um, and to grow and to become more powerful. And 
much like the left accuses the right of all of these um, horrible um, characteristics that the right is is homophobic or the right is xenophobic or the right is is uh, is uh, engaged in in activities that the left is actually engaging in. They turn it around and attribute everything that is bad to their opponents. So has the hospitals with regard to the reason why it's important for the hospitals to maintain the status quo and prevent hospitals from opening up in their in their geography, um, especially those that are owned by physicians. They claim that doctors would cherry pick. They would take the really good paying patients and leave the hospitals with the indigent patients or, or those who couldn't afford to pay. And then where would we be when the hospitals were only dealing with those kinds of patients? The hospitals would become insolvent and they would not be able to operate. And then that would, that would be, um, a disaster for the community because in reality they claim the hospital is a community resource. Well, unfortunately, just the opposite is true. The hospitals, by consolidating and by ab- being able to increase the power that they have in various communities, have made it impossible for physicians to exist in their communities because the hospitals are competing against the doctors and hospitals are undercutting physicians and the hospitals are the ones who are cherry picking and making the doctors either forcing them into retirement or selling their practices to the hospital or to the highest bidder, which in many cases is not a hospital, but is a, a, a private firm, a private equity firm, a firm that are run by business people who run medical practices. Now, the, the, um, this trend that has been happening now for the last decade plus is, um, Driving up the cost of health care, we see the cost of Medicare going up on an average basis of almost 6% per year over the last decade. That's not because of doctors. It's because of hospital costs, rising hospital costs. And when the small hospitals are struggling, it gives the bigger hospitals the opportunity to swoop in and swallow them up and get even bigger. And th- this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the creation of hospital monopolies in communities all across the country. You know, um, Senator, Senators Amy Klobuchar and, um, and Sheldon Whitehouse were in, in the Senate a few weeks ago and they were grilling people who were from Ticketmaster, who were um, being 
being uh, hammered by them because of the monopoly that they had over the ticket, um, over over ticketing, over control, being the the um, the promoter, and being the venue. And when you have all of that, you basically have a monopoly over that industry. And how horrible it is for those little girls who can't get their tickets to Taylor Swift. What about everybody who can't get the, the health care that they need because the hospitals control everything in a community. They control where you get your x-ray tests. They control where you get your lab tests. They control the doctors who are delivering the health care to you. They control everything about your health care experience. If that's not dangerous, then for crying out loud, I don't know what is. And so... That really is where we are right now. And I'm going to try to make the case why hospitals suck so bad and we need to push back against this. The um, a major reason why healthcare is in a downward spiral is because of this concentration of power in the hands of the hospitals. And by doing so, they've reduced doctors to technicians. And there's lots of reasons why this came about and even why it's so much more difficult to unwind. Just yesterday in Georgia, there was a vote, a bill that was proposed that... SB 102 in Georgia, which was a bill that was to allow nurse anesthetists to be able to practice independently of anesthesiologists in facilities around Georgia. That's what we're seeing. This is why I'm having this soliloquy today, this, this monologue, because Healthcare <coughs> is being reduced to a commodity, to something that anybody can administer. When I heard about this, <coughs> excuse me, our health, our medical society um, got out a blast email to its members to lobby against this, to urge senators to vote against this. And I couldn't find the result of the vote. I was online all all evening last night trying to find it, and I could not find whether it passed or not. But the, the idea of an anesthetist giving anesthesia to a patient unsupervised is, is so... Unbelievable! It is the anesthetist will make the case that oh well they're just as good. Well, if 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 they're just as good, let them go to medical school and get a degree because they're not just as good. They're an important member of the healthcare delivery team. 
but they're not just as good. I am a surgeon. I have dealt with nurse anesthetists, and some are superb. In fact, some, I would have to agree, are better than some of the anesthesiologists that I've worked with. But that doesn't mean that that's true for all anesthetists. And there have been so many situations where there have been patients who have been crashing and the anesthetist has had to emergently call the anesthesiologist into the room to help them navigate that critical situation because general anesthesia is not a is not a commodity it's not a a um a, a, a procedure to take lightly it's basically bringing a patient to death's door and that's not hyperbole they are on death's door when they are under a general anesthesia and all of their functions are being controlled by the anesthesiologist or the anesthetist. And then having the skill set to bring them back to life. That's what the, that's what the skill of general anesthesia is. And for 95% of the patients, it's very mundane. It's easy to do, you know, when you have the skill set to do this. Not everybody can do it, but when you've got enough experience, then you can do it well. But 5% of the time, it's not easy. And that's when people will die. And that's why you cannot commoditize health care. It is an art. It is a science. It is a skill. It takes years to hone. And when you you degrade that, whether... It's, it is statutorily at the level of a Senate that wants to give access to, to medical, um, caregiving to people who are not fully qualified to do it, or whether it's at the level of the hospital who will just put any warm body into the seat on the bus to check the box. That is where we are heading. That is where we need to draw the line. This is where the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is focusing our attention right now for 2024 because it's not too early to start making this case that the line in the sand has to be drawn here and that Healthcare is way too important to allow this to continue in the direction that we're going. We need to stand up and fight back, push back against what is happening, against this narrative. And it's up to you to be part of that and to help us do what we do best, which is to get this message out to the people who matter. Let's start out by stating the obvious. Hospitals are buildings. They're just like department stores or hotels or offices. They are a building. They have nothing to do with taking care of patients. Nothing. Nothing. 
although the marketing departments in these hospitals will persuade you otherwise. Oh, look how great our hospital is at cancer care. Look how great we are at dialysis, at taking care of patients with spinal cord injuries. That's bullshit. That is a bunch of garbage. The hospitals don't do crap. They don't do anything. It's the doctors who work at those hospitals, who care for those patients every day in the hospitals that are responsible for the good outcomes that occur with patients. The relationships that patients have with their doctors is what's important, not the relationship that doc, that patients have with a hospital. So over the past several decades, doctors have been bought by hospitals and they've been employed by hospitals and they no longer work for patients. They work for the hospital. They work for their employers. And when this transition took place, it was left to the hospital to provide the best care for patients coming to their facility. This was their obligation. But really, sadly, it's it was not their primary mission. Their primary mission was to make money. It was to grow their bureaucracy. Hospitals cut expenses whenever they could using low-bid vendors with products that are inferior to ones that had been used for years that worked best. I'll give you an example. As a urologist, we use catheters on a uh, regular basis. That's what urologists do. And we use certain catheters based on our knowledge of reliability and the um, minimization of problems caused by catheters because some of the materials that catheters are made out of are not good for the patients. They can actually cause problems themselves. So there are certain catheters which are better than others. And we have reached the conclusion about which catheters are best. I can't tell you how often we get into a case and ask for a catheter and then the nurse brings us a catheter that we've never seen before and that's because some bozo in purchasing in the hospital decided to go with a lower bid catheter they've not asked any of the doctors they've not sought any kind of input they've based their decision solely on dollars on how much it's going to cost them. So they don't really care about patient outcomes. They're just checking the box. Catheter, oh, here's one that costs less money. Let's use that. That's what they do at hospitals. They've done that with suture material. You know, as surgeons, we use certain suture materials. Why do we use them? Because we know that they're the best um a solution for certain kinds of problems. Internal um, sutures for working on the urinary tract or on the intestine, working on blood vessels, 
sewing up um, tendons, sewing up skin. There's certain suture materials that are better. The needles that the suture material is on, some of them are better than others. Well, what happens is that some clown in purchasing looks at the cost of a suture material and says, "Oh, look, I can do the, I can do better. I can find what looks to be what the manufacturer says is a reasonable substitute. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of the suture material that we've been using for 20 years and replace it with this low bid suture material." Well, guess what? That doesn't work as well, and we are compromising patient care when that happens. I'm going to give you lots more anecdotes and stories about why hospitals suck and why we need to draw the line in the sand right now and push back when we get back into the second segment of the Doctor's Lounge. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Patients are going to do better. Patient outcomes are going to improve. And healthcare is going to be better for everyone. That is not the direction we're going in. We are going in the wrong direction. Doctor Patient Care is now redefining itself. And you need to be part of that with a $100 contribution today, less than a trip to the a restaurant in 2023. So we really need your support at d4pcfoundation.org. Part of the cost cutting by hospitals is eliminating personnel. Many times these personnel are essential personnel, skilled nursing, receptionists, ER personnel, radiology personnel. How many times have you gone into the emergency room and had to wait two hours, three hours, because there's just no one working? Or you're put on hold in in a hospital and that hold is interminable because there's nobody to take care of your phone calls. Or skilled nursing. I have a friend, and I'm doing my best today not to name hospitals and not to name people, but to give generalizations. But every single one of these stories is factual and true. I have a friend 
who was recently admitted to an Atlanta hospital. And, um, and he is, uh, having, having problems. He's battling cancer. And he was, um, on a, uh, hospital ward in, uh, Atlanta, a giant hospital ward of a major hospital. And there were two nurses for the entire floor. And if that's the case, you can imagine how infrequently a nurse is going to look in on you. And if you're really sick, you are, you know, in danger of, of not coming out of the hospital alive. My mother was in a hospital in New York last year. She was at the time 91. And, um, we, uh, put her in that, the hospital that, um, we did because my nephew is a resident at the hospital and really insisted that we put her there despite my better judgment. Well, she had no one look in on her on a 12-hour shift. And how do I know that? Because I was sitting by her bedside and not a single nurse came in to look in on her. And if I wasn't there to take care of her needs, she would have been there for 12 hours without somebody looking in on her. When people heard that we brought her into that hospital, they were amazed that she made it out alive. That's that's what happens when hospitals cut personnel. They do it to maximize their profits. And these hospitals are, in most cases, in more than 50% of the cases, much more than 50% of the cases, non-for-profit hospitals. They hide behind that that moniker, non-for-profit. And what does that mean? Well, it basically means that they don't distribute their their profits to shareholders. What they do instead, they internalize their profits. They grow by um, swallowing up smaller hospitals. They grow by buying doctors' practices. They grow by paying the executives in the organization. Um, exorbitant salaries. In Atlanta, um, the majority of the CEOs of the hospitals here in Atlanta make in excess of $2 million a year. That is absolute, absolute, absolutely appalling. But the, the management team below them, um, are also well paid far beyond what they deserve they're being paid high six figure low seven figure salaries that's what the hospitals are doing with their profits and they are making windfall profits record profits by cutting the um cutting their their essential personnel by by uh cutting overhead as i've um as i've mentioned earlier and um, cutting doctors, getting rid of higher-priced doctors and replacing them with with uh, doctors who are lower price. And it, it's not all about money in terms of replacing doctors, I'm afraid. It's, it's about control and leaving the doctors behind who the hospitals feel they cannot control. Here I'll give you some personal examples. I have a doctor friend, good friend of mine, excellent surgeon, 
one of the best in Atlanta, recognized by Atlanta Magazine as one of the top surgeons in Atlanta. His story is not um, very different than many stories that doctors share with me around the country. He was the busiest surgeon in his hospital, and he um, he uh, operated every single day, and he was always available. A doctor called him up, and he said, send him by. It was no wait, you know, a few weeks for them to get on his schedule. He always took care of his patients and always took care of the doctors who were his referring doctors. Emergency room called. He would say, I'll be down shortly. Let me just get through my patients and I'll be there. He never, ever turned his back on anyone. He worked harder than any doctor that I know. And it, it showed. They um, He tried to bring in partners and they couldn't meet up to his standards. They were lazy. Many of them were millennials who were more interested in time off than in taking care of patients and building a practice. So he eventually had to let them go, and he was on call all the time as a result, and it was just very trying on him. He did that for well over 25 years. Well, the um, the hospital um, was, uh, and and by the way, this doctor rose to a level of, of physician management of the hospital and helped to recruit the CEO of the hospital and was really in, integral in the, the workings of the hospital. Well, um, the hospital was bought by a major academic institution in Atlanta and absorbed into their, into their sphere. And, um, so this, this doctor was, uh, um, he had actually sold his practice to the hospital beforehand. I, I left that out. And in selling his practice to the hospital, he um, the hospital wanted to get help for him, so they hired some f- other surgeons to help him out. And he was busier himself than the combination of the three other surgeons that that hospital had recruited. So then fast forward, this academic institution bought his practice, and um, and this doctor helped to facilitate that um, that integration, helped it to happen. And then one day, the CEO called him into the into his office, asked him to come. The CEO that he recruited, and sitting there was the chief of surgery at the academic institution. The chief of surgery did all the talking. The CEO had a very sheepish look on his face. And the chief of surgery said that um, they no longer needed his um, his uh, uh, employment in the institution, that uh, he was being terminated immediately without any recourse, without any explanation just because he did not fit into the model of the big institution. He was well-respected. He was busier than everybody. He was really outdoing what everybody was doing, and that was not what they wanted to see. He, they wanted 
to be able to control their doctors, and he was somebody who was not going to be controlled. And so the hospital got rid of somebody with one of the best reputations, with some of the best outcomes, somebody who was one of the best trained surgeons in the country out of one of the best um, programs in the country in Boston, and and left the institution with the three mediocre surgeons that were brought in that didn't hold a candle to this one surgeon. I'll give you another example how hospitals um, don't really care about quality, but care about control and about money. One hospital in town had world-class radiology department, and they were looking to um, merge the world-class radiology department with the mediocre radiology group that was part of their system. They wanted them to all work together. And the group that was the world-class group, a group in whom you can rely on their readings on studies, a group that you can call individuals and you could um, discuss what you were looking for in a test so that when the test got done, you knew that it was going to get done right and get done correctly the first time so that a patient didn't have to undergo multiple testing, wrong testing painful testing sometimes, well, the world-class group could not accept the terms of the hospital, which was a take-it-or-leave-it deal. And so they left, leaving the institution with only mediocre doctors, doctors who have readings, x-ray readings, which were totally unreliable on a regular basis, so much so that you couldn't rely on their readings. You had to look at your own x-rays, which most doctors don't do, but good ones still do, like my group. But those doctors who rely on readings, who don't know how to look at their own x-rays, were receiving reports which in some cases were totally erroneous. But the hospital didn't care, still doesn't care, because the same kind of product is still out there on a daily basis. The same institution has mistreated their surgeons and allowed the surgeons to leave one by one, leaving the institution with no reliable surgeons. And so what do they have to do? They have to get what's called locum tenums. Locum tenums are basically hired guns. They're doctors who come from outside of the institution who work shifts and do the work for the hospital. When that happens, there is no doctor physician of no, I'm sorry, doctor patient relationship because they're, they're 
itinerant. They come in, they do the job, and they leave. And those patients don't have a doctor with whom they have a relationship. The doctor who took care of them, who operated on them, is no, no longer there. They are out of out of town. They're gone. So who is it that is going to be taking responsibility for the follow-up of that patient? I'll give you a more specific example about locum tenens. The, the thing about locum tenens is that they look on paper at, you, at the doctor's resume. And on paper, it can look really good. You can hide a lot of things on paper. Well, there's one doctor that I know who does locum tenens around the country, but the institutions that he would like to work at in the Atlanta area won't have anything to do with him. He cannot get on the staff of the, these institutions in Atlanta because we, in these institutions, know of him and know of his outcomes, and know of his patient care, and do not want to put the patients at risk. But this doctor can go to places around the country and do the work in these other institutions without anybody knowing about his outcomes, about the reasons why he's not on staff at the institution that he would really prefer to be working at. I don't know if that sounds cryptic or not, but but I don't want to um, get in trouble by naming names and naming institutions. So so this is what is happening. Another example, one more, and then I'll, I'll move on. I have a friend, a very close friend, who was doing radiology for an institution here in Atlanta for well over 20 years. And the institution decided that they didn't want to renew their contract anymore. They don't, they're not, this is a group that's not owned by the hospital. And the group were given a take it or leave it ultimatum. If you want to continue working at our institution, you need to come and work on our terms and this is what we're going to pay you. Can you imagine if you had a business and you had, uh, and, and you were able to, you had like a house. Let's, let's just take that for example. And you had house painters and they told you what, you know, the, you, they were working in your house for years. And, uh, and then all of a sudden they started a job and, and then you said, you know, I'm not going to pay you this anymore. If you want to continue working here, you are going to accept what I'm going to give you or you no longer are going to be able to work here. And by the way, there's a, there's a moratorium on painting. You can't work for anybody else except for us. So take it or leave it. This is your only recourse. And this is what hospitals are doing. Um, it would be understandable, not acceptable, but understandable to see why a hospital would try to get less expensive help. It's sort of like a baseball team that gets rid of their high-priced players and rebuilds. 
right? They get rid of their stars and they replace them with rookies. Except when a team does that, they have a number of losing seasons before they have a, a contender. But in healthcare, we don't have that luxury. We don't have the luxury of several losing seasons. We don't even have the luxury of one losing season or even one loss because one loss, one, one death is a costly mistake that, that's unacceptable. But sadly, doctors don't, are not valued by hospitals. The hospitals believe that filling a seat with a warm body is all that they need to do. And when they treat the good doctors so badly that they leave or they're forced out, those that fill their places are usually inferior to the excellent ones that have departed. So the work that's produced is inferior quality. And um, these these doctors are are needed to provide critical services, radiology services, anesthesia services. You heard me tell you that just a minute ago. When that those doctors are no longer there, the entire system suffers. The work is less reliable, and the patient experience suffers, and and the patient outcomes are are bad. Hospitals have failed patients because they don't support staff. This became evident during the pandemic when thousands of nurses were let go. Many of them did not return to their previous jobs. So they left the profession or they got other jobs and they left hospitals short-staffed. So out of desperation, temporary agencies thrived and a, quote, traveler industry blossomed. These individuals were in the in, in healthcare for the short haul. And while many are excellent, it's a far cry from having an experienced nurse who's been working at a hospital, who's been in their job for years and years and knows everything from how the doctors operate and how they think to knowing the ins and outs of the institution and being able to get things done. These travelers come in and they know nothing. And it's it's painful for the doctors who are experiencing this and it's painful for everyone else involved. The hospitals have further failed patients because of their greed and profit motive. Um, the um, they've They've failed to develop less profitable services that need to be developed. Developing services like neurology services or who, who people who deliver multiple sclerosis therapies, very low paying and, and not profitable, maybe even money losing. Same with, with rheumatology or other cognitive fields, fields where procedures aren't being done. But look at hospitals building up their orthopedic areas because orthopedics are highly reimbursed, very profitable for for the hospitals. So they are pushing orthopedics or pushing cancer care because there's a lot of money in cancer drugs these days. The doctors who wish to open hospitals 
would be far too threatening to the existing power structure. They would have to actually, the hospitals would actually have to begin focusing on quality and paying, instead of paying at lip service. They would have to be focused on customer service because it simply does not exist in hospitals today. And the hospitals are fighting tooth and nail to preserve what they have. Certificate of need laws keeping other hospitals from opening or using their political influence locally, like in the Chamber of Commerce, because in most communities, the hospitals are the largest employers. Now, forget about the fact that they are the lowest taxpayers, because as tax-exempt organizations, they're not paying taxes. So there is a, a real paradox here with regard to what their value to the community is. So... Um, in, in Atlanta, for example, the, the hospitals are so greedy that they will not even give their employees discounts for their, their, their care or their family's care. The families can't afford, in many cases, to bring their family members to their hospital that they work at to get their care because it is far too expensive. They can't get their diagnostic tests there because in many cases it is the most expensive care in the country. So the morale in hospitals has reached its low point and doctors burn out not because the job is hard, which it is, but because they feel like they are not appreciated. Um, Many patients are now on the government dole and have no skin in the game. They view the care that they receive from doctors in so many cases as an entitlement and often come in with a chip on their shoulder and they're so angry because the system has so abused them by the time they show up and meet their doctors that they really have no respect for the doctors. And the hospital treats the doctors no better by abusing them and taking them for granted. And while at the same time putting together inane, quote, physician wellness initiatives designed to show how much they care. Take time and meditate for 10 minutes to preserve your well-being or to find an outlet for your frustrations. These are pathetic gestures on the part of patient, uh, on part of hospitals. So, Here's what a physician hospital would look like. It would look like a place where there would be aligned incentives, where doctors would be required to talk to each other, where the staff would be incentivized to work and it would be the best staff, where we, we would have creative pricing for patients and deliver the best care. And in the next show, I'm going to go through the um, the new prescription for health care in 2023 and what a doctor-run hospital would look like. So you need to join our team and contribute to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation today so that we can take this mission and move it forward where it belongs. Thanks for being with us today, and join. Come, please join us again in the next show. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.